I'm Alex Millers. And I'm Tai Seifu. Alright, uh, so we put... We did, like, no preparation for this. Taisei was just like, yeah, let's just hit record. Just hit record right away. So, so that's what we did. We hit record right away. Uh, how should I... Here's how I'll start. Here's how I'll start. Um, right now, I'm probably more exhausted than I've been in a while. Um, a couple of reasons. Number one, I woke up earlier today than I have in a long time for uh, some training at my new job. And then, right after that, I went to go get uh, my first dose of my sweet good Vax. Got got that, that steamy hot Pfizer right into my left arm. Uh, and then, um, this episode, which we were planning on recording starting at 8 PM was pushed back by, by one of us an hour and a half. So it's now nine 31, not going to point fingers, say which one of us, but it was one of us and it wasn't me and it was Taisei. Uh, but you know what? All of that is okay because I am still riding the high of 24 hours ago. And I'm pretty sure that game ended pretty much exactly 24 hours ago. Cause it's nine 30 right now. But it's not the type of high I'm used to feeling when a team I cheer for wins, notably the Montreal Canadiens in the past winning playoff series. This one's different. And I think we both kind of hit the nail on the head. And I think a lot of Habs Nation is kind of feeling the same way. It's not this normal elation you feel when you win. Really, the prime emotion that we're feeling is just hilarity. And how funny it was, and it was it was it was really just I th- like a masterclass in comedy. I think these these two teams put on it was really hilarious. Uh, on I think both of us mostly near the end of the series, game five, game six, especially game seven. Every time the Habs scored, it was about thirty five percent yes cheers and sixty five percent laughing, and just just. It was. I watched the new Bo Burnham special uh, a couple nights ago. It was brilliant, uh, and it's getting praised endlessly by by critics and everyone who's watched it. Uh, but it was still it wasn't as funny as uh, that that Habs Leaf series. I've got to say. So Bo Burnham, step up your game uh, to match the NHL. Uh, this is just it's fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mirror those those uh, emotions one million percent. I mean, I was just I've been thinking about it all day. You know, like. I don't feel the same. Yeah, you got it right. The, 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 the playoff series victory elation that usually comes after a Habs win, you know, after the Titans win in football. You know, I'm like usually buzzing. I'm just so happy they're advancing. But right now, and still 24 hours later, I'm just, it's just so funny to me. It's absolutely hilarious. I think about the series, I just start giggling. I mean, how fucking funny is this whole thing? I And absolutely, like every time they would score a goal, um, I'd be like, yes, you know, I'd jump out of my couch, I'd point at whoever scored, and then I'd just start laughing. I'd be like, ah, the fucking Leafs are doing it again. Those motherfuckers, I couldn't believe it. And it's it's just, and yeah, so really, the, the story of it, and I think it's, it's, and it's accurately portrayed in the media, is that this is not so much the Habs winning the series as it is the Leafs completely shitting themselves for like the second year in a row in terms of being the favorite, but also just the fourth second. year in a row in the first round. Yeah. Uh, fourth Fifth. year in the first round. Yeah, exactly. Fifth. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, whew. it's, yeah, right. Because like, yeah. And, and so everybody's talking about it and it's, they should be because it's fucking funny. Uh, and, you know, the Habs are almost an afterthought at this point. Which, honestly, they should be uh, because the Steve sucks. But, like, you know, I, I'm here yeah. to enjoy it. I'm here to enjoy it nonetheless. Yeah, I think, okay, Um, it's you're absolutely right that the big story here is the Leafs. But the Leafs' perspective and the Habs' perspective 
are I think of them as being very disconnected from one another, and they are very different. Uh, Arpan Basu with The Athletic actually just a couple hours ago came out with an article. I didn't read it that closely, but from what I did look at, including the headline, uh, the idea was basically everyone's talking about the Leafs choking, but let's not discredit and ignore the Habs' accomplishment of winning. And I've got to say, I, I disagree. I don't think I don't think this is such a great achievement <laughs> yeah, for the Canadians. Me too. <laughs> okay, largely, what I'm thinking of, it, of this as... Um, one minor negative uh, that was that is in my mind with the Canadians is that Dominic Ducharme's uh, continually awful uh, lineup decisions and deployment decisions, especially on the defense, uh, have been rewarded. Um, ben Sherratt comes to mind. Uh, he's this past down the stretch and in the series against the Leafs has been the worst hockey he's played as a member of the Montreal Canadiens. I think Kevin BX had a little segment praising him. Uh, he failed to, to really acknowledge that all the highlights of Ben Sherratt's he was showing were in the defensive zone. In that game six overtime, he was on for like more than half the time, which it was terrible with uh, with Shea Weber. It was absolutely awful to watch. Um, the Montreal Canadiens. You know what? You know what I think of this as. You know that that saying, this like uh, the stoppable force meets the movable object. I think this was a really good example of that. And what happened, if we're thinking of the Leafs as the stoppable force, is that they're so stoppable they stopped themselves before they even met the movable object. And that's how the Canadians managed to, uh, I guess, credit to them for take advantage of the of the Leafs. You know, absolutely choking again. But to be honest, I think. Pretty much every team in the NHL, save the Buffalo Sabres, could have done this just because the Leafs seemed so determined to lose. It's incredible. It's truly something else. Like, you could probably put a junior B team out there, and if you told the Leafs it was the first round of the playoffs, they'd find a way to lose in seven games. I mean, this is this is just truly a work of art. Like, it, it really <laughs> hasn't been said enough. It hasn't been said like enough that... That the Leafs blew a 3-1 lead. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> the Habs won three games in a row. I didn't even think that was possible past, <laughs> like, the first month of the season. <laughs> and against the Leafs, too. It's just like, yeah, it, like, determined to lose is really a nice way to put it. Because, like, man, the Leafs are honestly the better team top to bottom, except maybe Carey Price uh, at the goaltending position. Um, and... Yeah, and it's not even like, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, it's not even like, you know, the Leafs goaltending sucked or, like, their defense was awful. It was just like, I don't even know what to pinpoint. That was Honestly, like, I'm the looking... Leafs was the defense and goaltending. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and, you know, the forwards, like, you know, Marner and Matthews, like, everybody's pointing fingers at them. But, like, you know, the should. forward core overall, like... You know, like, they had depth scoring. Their depth showed up to play, you know, like, notably, like, dudes like Jason Spezza. Uh, and, you know, like, I'm here sitting scratching my head, like, uh, like, I guess, like, well, they're pointing it at Marner or Matthews because there's really, like, nobody else to point it at. Um, it just feels like, you know, the Leafs, they were the better team throughout the series, I felt, honestly. Uh, like, well, except maybe in the last couple of games when they, I don't know, kind of disappeared. But even in game six, they really came storm back in that third period. And for long stretches of the game, they were just, you know, hem- hemming the halves in their own zone, which they did in game seven too, for, for extended periods of time. And, but for some reason, they just couldn't put it in the net. And, you know, part of that is Carey Price playing out of his mind. But also, it's just that, you know, you play, you dominate that much, you should just keep putting it into the net until, unless you have some sort of, you know, uh, intent to lose, which, you know, obviously they don't have. But like, you know, it's just, it's... Uh, all the talk about like, oh, you know, you got to add sandpaper. You got to know, got to find 
people to win, like, you know, people with players who know how to win. And it's like, you know, that's obviously nonsense. And they at least even tried that. And even that could have told it. Like, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But it's it's just so funny to me. Because the Leafs, when it was 3-1, when it was 3-1, I had thrown in the towel so far uh, into the ring. Are you kidding me? That, like... It's 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 just comedic. It's just comedic at that point. I it's I don't even think it's really settled in to in my brain that the Habs managed to actually like freaking win the series down three one. That never happens to a Hab team when they're good. Let alone when the roster's bad, the defense sucks, and the coach doesn't even know what the fuck he's doing at any point in the going, game. <laughs> if we're going by uh, I guess recent is is relative here, but recent memory. The Habs actually appear to only come back from 3-1 deficits when they suck because the most recent time was 2010 against the President's Trophy Washington Capitals. Uh, so a little bit of a pattern here, I guess if you can say 11 years later, not much of a pattern. But anyway, the day before Game 7, I, I tweeted something like, if, and I used capital if to, you know, capital IF to really, you know, make sure that the if was very clear, the Canadians beat the Leafs in Game 7. This would probably be the the worst of all Leafs round one losses uh, that, you know, we think of as being recent, including the past five years and even including 2013 for a couple reasons. Number one is that in none of the other ones that they actually blow a series lead of more than uh, three to two against the Bruins in, um, in 2019 they had a 3-2 series lead. And that's not unheard of at all to, you know, a team loses two games in a row. Also, the fact that even including last year's Blue Jackets, none of the Leafs opponents sucked and were awful. Yeah. And we're definitely not a playoff caliber team up until the Canadians. So you compound both of those things. Uh, also, not even that. Also, the fact that this Leafs team was clearly the wow voice crack. Clearly the best one out of all of them. And you know the big gaping holes on the team appeared to have finally been shored up. Uh, you know T.J. Brody especially. They were getting excellent goaltending from Jack Campbell, including during the series. Besides like maybe two stinker goals or whatever. Um, and they still blew it. So like those three things, they were great. They were playing a terrible team, and they blew a 3-1 series lead. I was thinking this has to be the worst one out of all of them. But then I thought a little bit more, and I thought maybe it's not it's not right to look at it as like six separate things when really you think about this from a Leafs fan, fan point of view. They're not six isolated incidents. Really, it's kind of just like one long Shakespearean tragedy, a saga that lasts like eight years or 18 years or 54 years, whatever you want to call it. And it's just a a continuous stretch of misery that can't be compared one part to another part because it's all one part of the same long story of total disaster. (laughs) Ah, what a story it is. Oh my God. Like, yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I said this before, but like, honestly, like I'm finding myself enjoying the Leafs loss more than the Habs victory. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, I, it's just so funny to me. It's just so, so funny to me. And absolutely, there's a part of my brain that's like, well, while Ducharme now has won a series and he's probably going to get rewarded. While Bergeron actually finally won a series and he's probably going to get rewarded. Um, and that kind of like, you know, dampens the mood a bit in my mind when it comes to the Habs. But the Leafs, there are no, there's nothing. There's nothing that's holding me back uh, in terms of just, like, pure hilarity. Uh, the team was built to win. The team was far and away throughout the season and just, like, on paper, the best team in the North. They were supposed to be handed a free ticket to the third round. 
Um, and they still managed to blow it. They still managed to fucking blow it against a team that's so bad that wouldn't make the playoffs in a regular, in a normal season with a normal division alignment. Uh, and yeah, there's just, it's just, and, and like, you know, moving forward for the Leafs, um, uh, like, look, the smart thing to do, I think is run it back. You know, like the team is there, the players are there, the skill is there. Um, and like whatever sandpaper, whatever you want to call it, I guess it's there too. Um, more than in past years, I don't know with all those UFAs, but like, if you try to run it back, I think that's the best decision because this team was good. All right. This team was very good. Um, and I think this team, even in an, uh, in a regular Atlantic division would do very well and would, would secure themselves in Atlantic spot, you know, gear themselves up for a deep playoff run. I think that's very possible, but, uh, you know, with all the talk is like, oh, they're going to blow it up. They have all these UFAs. And I hope that happens. I hope that this is an absolute, like, absolute shit show of an offseason for the Leafs. I hope they reinvent themselves, come back, and do exactly the same thing next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, I, it's really, like, there's no other word for it than just really fucking funny. Um, and so shout out to the Leafs for that. You bring me so much joy. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of torn on what I think is the smart thing for the Leafs to do moving forward because on one hand, as you said, you know, the the, the core is fully in place and yeah, Matthews and especially Mitch Marner didn't show up. And I definitely understand, you know, the the outburst of rage from so many Leafs fans who want Mitch Marner to get traded and some who are even acting like it's a, a foregone conclusion that he's played his last game for the Leafs, which it definitely isn't. In fact, I would say there's probably a more than 50% chance he returns for next season and they they more or less run it back with of course you know probably some some changes uh on the you know exterior of the roster the bottom six the edges whatever you want to call it uh on one hand I kind of see that making sense like we have our core you know especially Kyle Dubas like this is my core I've made my bed with this core and you know really all I can do is say it's got to work with Matthews and Marner because we've committed so much to them they have the talent, obviously. They're going to have to find a way to figure it out and not choke when all of a sudden you're sitting on a three to whatever series lead and you're one win away from uh, from moving on to round two of the playoffs. Let's see, how many times have they had a chance to move on to the next, how many times to win a playoff round and failed? J- just like since, you know, Matthews and Marner have, uh, have been there. Not in 2017. 2018, they had that game seven they lost. 2019, they had two games they lost. Uh, 2020 against Columbus, uh, that's a fourth one. And then this year against Montreal, they're now 0-7 in games where they can move on uh, to the next round and win a playoff series. And if I'm Kyle Dubas, maybe I'm sitting there thinking, we have to run it back. We have to, they have to try again. They have to figure it out. On the other hand... Have isn't seven times enough to show? Don't they say like fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me? How about fool me seven times? What's the what's the little moniker for that one? I don't know. But so, but then on you know like you trade Mitch Marner, okay? Uh, what do you what do you get back for him? Probably a lot. What do you get like Kirill Kaprizov? I don't know. By Minnesota just came to mind. Um, does your team get better? Does a shakeup really you know change stuff? Maybe. I mean. It's 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 kind of it's it's a really tough predicament to be in because I can understand why you would have no desire as a fan to bring it back, but on the other hand, you know, all the evidence besides the most important part says that this is a, a great team, and we've seen you know like the Lightning 
they got swept by the Blue Jackets and like, it's okay. You know, it was a fluke. We'll run it back and they want to stay on the cup the very next year. But the Maple Leafs haven't really done, they haven't done what the Lightning had done up to that point, like make a Stanley Cup final pretty recently, made it to the conference finals recently. They didn't have that track record uh, that that provided the confidence that, all right, this sweep uh, to the eighth seed is a fluke and we have a great team. So I'm very torn on whether, you know, do you keep Marner? Do you trade Marner? Uh, Morgan Riley, you could ask the same question. Uh, what do the Leafs do? It's a big question mark. What? Ah, look, I think it is a question mark. But if I'm the one leading the Leafs, I don't think it's in the. I don't think there's a question about it. You know, like first of all, Morgan Riley. Eh? How are you going to trade the guy? Not only is he just like a stud defense, but he was fantastic all series against the Habs. Um, and you know, like he's going yeah. to contract year is the thing. And you know, people, you know, do you want to yeah, you know but, get a what, comparable player who's do? locked in longer? Trade Riley like has definitely been, you know, a, a rumor. No, nah, not rebuild. Guess, guess just like, yeah. just like can Sandine slide into his spot, and then you know you re- recoup some assets on uh, on Morgan Riley or whatever moving forward. I don't like that idea. You know, like no, like he, he's like he's got the he's got a great skill set. Uh, Riley does, especially the way he's been improving in the defensive zone. Uh, and I don't know. I don't see how he could trade that. You know, bonafide number one defenseman. Like if if they trade Riley, who the hell does it become? Well, I guess you know Jake Muzzin. Number one defenseman, number two TJ Brody. Like ah, I don't Brody love that. And Muzzin are, um, they're already kind of uh, like Riley Brody Muzzin are probably about at all the same level of importance to the Leafs or had been this year would be my estimation. So, and I honestly I think Riley's the most expendable out of all of them at this point. Okay, all right. Um, but like the Marner stuff, like I I don't I don't see how you could get a comparable player. And it's like it's not like the Leafs really need any depth. You know, they've always been good at, like, you know, whatever it is, like, just young guys out of their development system or just, like, signing old dudes um, like Jason Spezza. Um, like, Thornton and Simmons weren't great, but, like, you know, they were fine during the season. Uh, and so, like, like what, are you going to find a player that's, like, like if you were to do a hockey deal, for example, like, who's out there that someone's willing to do a one-for-one for? You know what I mean? That's, that's of comparable value. Uh, I don't think it would I, be a one-for-one. Well, I know, but then if it's not a one-for-one, that means you're giving up the best asset, and I don't see why the Leafs would do that because that implies, I don't know, you're getting some sort of depth thing back or, like, a first-round pick that's going to be good in, like, three, four, five years. And, like, what does that do for you now? And, like, this is, like, you know, with with Marner and Nylander and Matthews and even Tavares all in their primes, this is your contending window. Um, Even if you can't manage to get past the first round, like, you have to just keep plugging away at it. Um, Like... You, that's, at least that's the way I see it. And and finding and getting a player back for Marner, who's like, you know, top 10 scorer in the league. Uh, and you get a guy that's worse than him that, you know, you can plug in on the first line. Like, I don't see how that serves you and makes your team better moving forward other than like, ooh, something new, some shakeup. And like, is that what they need? Maybe, but I don't think so. That's not how I would approach it. Um, I'm just running it back. and I'm just saying I have all the faith in the world in you guys. Um, you guys have uh, you guys have shown throughout the regular seasons, maybe not in the playoffs, but in the regular seasons that you guys are among the best players, among the best regular season teams out there. Um, and I'll just keep going at it. But uh, clearly the fans want something else, and I can't blame them. You know, uh, five years of this nonsense, and I would ask for something else too. But uh, I think the rational approach here is uh, like you're just trying to maximize your assets, your, your, your amount of talent on your team, and you can't really do that if you're trading away a guy like Mitch Marner. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, let's focus more on the Canadians now. 
because of course, you know, the Leafs are, you know, more fun to talk about in, in most ways. But let's talk about the Canadians because I'm looking at like, all right, how did they do this? How did they get here where they're now about to take part in probably the worst second round matchup in NHL history <laughs> with two teams that suck ass? Uh, how did they get here? How did they manage to beat the Leafs? Uh, Carey Price, obviously, that's a big reason. Uh, he was absolutely on the top of his game the entire time. Uh, and I'm not going to say that he's worth a $10.5 million because he absolutely isn't. Uh, and to be fair, no criticism I've ever had of that contract has been a criticism of Carey Price, all right? I would have taken the money too if I was in his position. And I love the fact, uh, as I think you mentioned in a, in a very recent episode, we don't like that that massive cap hit that kind of hamstrings the team. But, you know, while he's here, uh, we're watching one of the absolute top goalies of this era and let's enjoy it while we have it because he won't be around forever. He's already 33 years old. So thanks, Carey Price. The other thing, obviously, of course, everyone is singing the praises of uh, Philip Dano uh, eating that that uh, well-deserved p- pizza in front of the, the press. Uh, did you see that? Uh, he was like ate an entire pizza at like his, the post game <laughs> yesterday. Uh, because, I mean, you know what? He was, the, he was the key piece in shutting down that Leafs top line. Uh, Matthew's only got one goal. Marner had none the entire series. Uh, we were talking, we've been talking a little bit throughout the year about Philip Dano. You know, he, he had that big contract offer at the start of the year. I think, it, what was it? It was like six by five and a half or something like that. We were like, that's a lot. Then he didn't score for a while. Um, you know, I've come back around a bit on Dano. I still think six by five and a half is too much. Um, I think five by five is probably the max I'd be willing to to stomach and be comfortable with um, because you know, someone would give it to him because he's an elite defensive forward. One of the very best in the NHL, but on the other hand, you know, he's kind of mediocre offensively and that's a pretty big part of the game as well. So uh, am I worried that Berge fans going to, you know, you know, you know, he shut down Crosby and Malkin in the bubble. He shut down Matthews and Marner against the Leafs. All that means he's worth as much as both of those players. No, it doesn't mark uh, or whatever. Uh, but man, Philip Dano, Carey Price, I wanted to shout out those two players, um, Suzuki and Kotkaniemi as well, uh, appear to be, you know, great playoff performers. That's very nice to, to see, you know, for these uh, two guys who are supposed to be, you know, the young core of the team, or at least a big part of it moving forward. On the other hand, uh, I just, Thomas Tatar, healthy scratch in game six and seven. All right, Alexander Romanov, probably your third best defenseman, healthy scratch. The entire time, Eric Eric Gustafson and Brett Kulak played like six and a half minutes each in Game Six, a game that went to, went into overtime, and and they played none in overtime. It was just it was just mind boggling lineup decision after mind boggling lineup decision by Ducharme, and he got rewarded for it. The Leafs were just like, yeah, here, take it. I don't. You could you could start Jake Allen and and scratch Brendan Gallagher, put Alex Belzil in his spot, and we'll allow you to to walk right down Main Street and win. I don't even know what that means, but. But I think you get my idea. Yeah, you know, one, one part of me thinks, you know, maybe this is just a big Leafs conspiracy so that they can sink the Habs by keeping Bergevin and Ducharme uh, at their jobs. Now, is that exaggerated? Oh, yes, but it definitely, um, <laughs> you know, a negative. If, if you're a Habs fan, at least I think so. Because, uh, yeah, look, uh, oh my God, like, what the hell is he doing? Like, okay, I, oh, what the hell? Everybody's talking about it. Everybody sees it. Everybody fucking sees it. This guy has no clue what he's doing whatsoever. He has no idea how to put the best players on the ice. Uh, and 
it's yeah, it is baffling to me, and it is completely the Leafs' fault that he got he got he's uh, he pulled out a win out of his ass. Um, uh, it wasn't out of his ass. The Leafs handed it to him. Um, so yeah, and it's and like for the the youngsters, you know, like Caulfield, Suzuki, Cockney. I mean, it's very. I'm very, very, very happy about like you know playoff experience. You know, talk about it all you want, but like I think I I think it's overvalued. But I still think there's some value to like you know doing this, and so that you don't end up in a cycle like the Leafs are in right now. Um and yeah, first and like just the fact that Kakadiemi who's who's playing so well uh, scored that overtime winner obviously in Game Six. Can you believe this guy was this guy was healthy scratched at the beginning of the series? Your yes. your third overall pick. Like four years ago, and you're out here scratching this guy. He's completely absurd. But uh, you know, and he showed up and he did his job. And it's like really, it feels like the, the Habs won thanks thanks to the Leafs, and also despite the boneheaded moves by Dominic Ducharme. Uh, and yeah, it's just like what the hell is Ben Chirot doing out there? He's so fucking bad. Um, and it's not even yeah, he's just terrible. He leads he like he has these bad giveaways that lead to goals. He's bad in the defensive zone. He's so slow that he's always in the defensive zone. He's always like you know. And I talked about this last week with their defense, you know, and they're they're they play coward, you know, and that that you know I feel like it encapsulates their game the entire series against the Leafs, frankly. You know, um, like once once they got out to the lead, it was just like slow burn. Can we hang on by the by the very tips of our th- fingernails? Um, and they kind of played coward. It worked for him. I think that's the sharp system, honestly. You know, and defensively it kind of is, right? They don't play aggressive. They just all collapse down low and just like you know try to box out the people. That's coward shit right there. Uh, and they never get any sort of sustained uh, offensive zone pressure against the Leafs. At least not you know past like the first period of Game Six. And besides that, that was about it. Um, so, you know, despite all this nonsense that he's doing that is not conducive to offense, uh, that's only just, it's basically just sitting on your hands and hoping that Price can bail you out and that the, the other team won't score enough goals uh, to make up for your lucky bounces that you were opportunistic on. Um, it's just like, you. They, it feels like they won despite that. And I'm happy for it. And I'm definitely happy for the development and experience. But man, Dominic Ducharme is maybe one of... I don't know. Is he the most incompetent coach in the AHL? I think he's up there. I think he's like bottom five. He's fucking sucks. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, these easy, these easy players that like easy decisions. How do you not play Caulfield? How do you not play Caulfield? It's completely baffling. Especially the Caulfield one. I'm still not over it. I'm still not fucking over it. It's like every game that that take that benching makes less and less sense because he's so fucking damn good, Cole Caulfield, and he brings so much like energy into the Habs offense. He's like. Every game. And I can't believe they benched him. But yeah, anyways, uh, good for Ducharme. He probably gets the job for another year. But yeah. Oh, at least. And now he thinks he... Because now he he thinks he's galaxy-brained himself to a victory. Uh, He thinks, you know, Kakanyevi giving that game off. That's the reason why he bounced back. You know, Caulfield not playing him until game three. uh, You know, that added spark in the middle of the series was exactly what they needed to lose two games in a row before winning the next three. Uh, Whatever else, you know strange reasonability he could come up with for what he did actually made sense. Um, but anyway, let's let's look ahead to the series against the Jets in round two. Uh, if I'm making a prediction, um, I think the Jets win. The main reason is because they've had so much more rest than the Canadians. The Canadians are just having this one day off in between. And all, not only that, it's not much of a day off. They're flying to Winnipeg. Uh, also, the Jets are better. They're still not great, but they're better. 
You look at the goaltending, Hellebuck and Price, they were both dominant in each of their first round series. I think that's pretty much a wash. Uh, the two defenses, man, Matt, here, we were saying before about uh, stoppable force meets movable object. How about movable object meets movable object with these two defenses? <laughs> we got, all right, how, how do we how do we rank all these 12 defensemen? Uh, Jeff Petrie's got to be number one. Number two, Neil Pionk. It might be Neil Pionk, I've got to say. Are we thinking like Petrie, Pionk, Morrissey, Brett Kulak, number four, uh man, just dud after dud after dud on these on these these twelve <laughs> players who are likely to be playing. It's honestly shocking. Um, I've got to say though, in that Leaf series, uh, Matthews and Marner, especially as it went on, didn't really strike up much fear in me. And that's how, uh, by the time we got to Game Seven, it was one nothing. I was like, yeah, I don't see the Leafs figuring it out tonight. Um, the Jets, I feel like Nikolai Ehlers is always striking fear i mean i'm sure he has off games from time to time i haven't watched every single jets game but from what i've seen of him playing the halves this year he can turn it on and he can honestly much like austin matthews i think nikolai ehlers is probably the the best winger in canada and that that appears becoming a more and more popular take i'm not as scared of like connor shifley wheeler even though kyle connor's kind of eating the halves alive i think nikolai ehlers is the the big thing, I think he's going to probably go on an absolute tear. Remember, he only did play like two games against the Oilers. And what did he have? Did he have like five points or something like that? I know we scored a couple times. And I think that single player might be what makes the difference in uh, in this series. Yeah, he's the, hands down the best skater in this series, Nikolai Oilers is. And, uh, you know, like you talk about that defense, it's just it's it's hilarious. It's fucking funny. Um, and actually, just all these More both of these teams, they kind of they're kind of they're kind of both dog shit. Like frankly, like they're not very <laughs> yeah. good. Neither of them are good at all. Uh, and especially, oh my god, the defense is. You guys, you guys need to see this. All right, if you're listening, you need to go Google up both of these rosters, see who they're playing. Um, it's just so fucking funny. That I think none I know of what these it is. players are good. Yeah, what is it? All right. Well, of the Habs, I'm expecting they'll keep the same pairings that they won Game Seven with. So that's Jeff Petrie with Joel Edmondson. Who, by the way, on Joel Edmondson, I was going to mention this. I was thinking for a second, maybe I'm kind of coming around to Joel Edmondson. You know, maybe he he took a while. Maybe he's not as bad as I thought. Then I realized that's probably just because I'm comparing him to the likes of Ben Sherratt at his worst and Eric Gustafson, uh, who who is just absolutely terrible. And Joel Edmondson is probably the fourth best defenseman dressed on the Canadians. And if you run a, a team with a good defense score, like say i don't know last year's hurricanes what he was on he would be by far the worst and he would stick out like a sore, th- sore thumb but anyway edmondson petrie that's your top pair ben Sherratt and shea weber the worst of both worlds all right that's your number two sure. and then brett kulak and eric gustafson uh habs fans listening are, will probably know that on the jets side of things josh morrissey playing with dylan Demello. all right Derek forbert playing with neil yeah. pionk that's probably their best pairing uh, most at least analytics people seem to say. Uh, and then on the bottom pair, I think you've got uh, Logan Stanley, who's known for being uh, very tall next to, I think, I think this is your favorite guy who you consistently point out as being, I can't be- believe Tucker Pullman is real. And yes, not only is he real, uh, he played next to Josh Morrissey for most of the year. And I'm pretty sure he's pretty much like a staple in the Jets top six. How many other teams would be, would he be a, a staple on in the top six? Probably not many. Uh, zero, I think. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Right now, I think the funniest part is Derek Forbert on the fourth in the top four. I think that's just really <laughs> damn funny. Um, but yeah, looking ahead, you know, like uh, when it comes to the forwards. But yeah, that I agree. That first line, you know, like nice names. Um, you know, Shifley, Connor, Wheeler. 
like and they're good on their own as as individuals they're they're fine um but together you know they don't really make a fearsome top line and if we're comparing top lines you know like Dano Gallagher and uh question mark whether it's Tatar or Evans um I like the matchup there uh if Dano can shut down Marner and Matthews uh I think he can handle this line which I think is considerably worse um and yeah it's just man I don't I don't think the Jets are forwards are very good at all you know like you know, man Dubois Dubois has been kind of bad um, ever since coming, like, you know, like, Paul Snazby's not bad, but, like, Ehlers is obviously the guy. Their depth is fine. It's, like, mediocre. Um, but, like, yeah. I Honestly, I think I might, here. like... Yeah, go ahead. I think, th- I don't know what Ducharme's plan is, of course. I don't think even he might not know what it is. But I would probably, I'd put Philip Dano and whoever he happens to be playing with, I'd put that brilliant shutdown center against Nikolai Ehlers, whatever line Ehlers is on. Just because, I'll say once again, I'm most scared of him. And I would honestly, I love the Suzuki to Foley Caulfield line matched up against Shifley Connor Wheeler. Just because all three of those Jets forwards have really bad defensive metrics. And Nick Suzuki, I have faith in him as a defensive forward. I think he can do a just fine job at shutting them down. And those three players who might be the three best offensive players the Canadians have against those three, you know, mediocre at best defensively Jets top line. I would feel very good about, uh, about that matchup. If that's what Ducharme chooses to do. Yeah, I don't know. I actually disagree. I would put, you know, one-on-one I'd put the, I put the Deno line on the Shifley Connor Wheeler line. I just think if you can really like keep them shut down and I know maybe they like, you know, like first line pairing, I think the Habs, honestly, like, you know, like that, Deno and Gallagher, the, neither of them really got their offensive groove going because they were like, you know, so they've talked about how they were so hemmed in by their own defensive responsibilities by taking on those two superstars. I think, you know, you could get a significant edge just in that top line matchup. And then, you know, I like Ehlers is really good, obviously, but like, Suzuki, I like the matchup there between the second lines. If, if we were to go Dubois, Stastny, Ehlers against Suzuki, Toffoli, Caulfield, like I think Suzuki um, could, like I think he's great defensively. I think he's, he, I thought like there were a number of defensive players. I was like, oh look, Suzuki in the defensive mode. I got the least, made a nice little play there. Um, and I found myself like remarking that mentally multiple times. And so, you know, I, anyways, I'd, all, all this to say, I would disagree with, I would just like, I would do the other way around. Um, and as for the depth, I, th- I like the Habs depth better, frankly. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I think, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's especially the way they played. You know, like Eric Stahl, who we've kind of ragged on for being completely washed, he was solid. You know, he was passable uh, on the fourth line, and like Corey Perry or Scory Perry, uh, somehow still finds it within him to score a bunch of goals. Yeah, absolute stud. So, uh, and you know, Kakaniemi, wonderful, and Josh Anderson's at the fucking bottom six now, uh, because of the Habs depth. So, like, it's. I like the edge there. Uh, the, the one thing I, I'm pretty worried about is the goaltending. Like, you know, you say it's a wash, and it might well be. That's the thing. You know, Price might come to play as he did for the Leafs, uh, and, you know, it might well be a wash. Um, we know Hellebuck's going to come to play. He's been so consistent over the last two years, and even in the playoffs against the Oilers, uh, shut down, you know, their top players. Um, I'm just a bit worried about the regression for Carey Price. Um, I'm not saying it's like probable or anything. I just feel like I trust Carey Price significantly less than I do Connor Hellebuck to maintain their respective high levels of play in the second round. Um, not to say I expect Carey Price to be awful or anything, but I just I just worry. You know, I just it just something like kind of eating at me in the back of my mind. 
um, that, you know, maybe he just won't be as good and Connor Hellbuck's going to be a fucking brick wall, which we know he can be. Uh, and that just might be the difference. Yeah. You know, I'm deciding when Carey Price is hot like he is now, I've decided to not worry too much about him and just maintain the faith. And you know what? If I had to guess, I think he does maintain the the level of play because, you know, we've seen it all the time in playoff games where, like, you know, Olympics, these big stages, whatever you want to call it. He appears to find a new gear always, every single time, and it's always totally dialed in. And I, I don't really think that's going to change against the Jets. Um, as for you were saying before about, like, the, those line matchups, I think more of your problem or what you're worried about is that Brendan Gallagher, having him be on the line uh, with – too much defensive responsibility is not the best use of his skill sets. So I think maybe the smart thing is if you wanted to split up Dano and Gallagher, put Dano on a purely shutdown line with like Byron and Lekkonen if you wanted to or something like that. And honestly, Dano, Byron, Lekkonen, uh, or Di- uh, sorry, not Lekkonen, Lekkonen's injured. Um, I don't know if he'll be back, but even like Dano, Byron, and Jake Evans or something like that. I think there's enough, you know, defensive prowess and speed there to neutralize the Nikolai Ehlers. And then if you had Gallagher with, I guess that would leave him with, I don't know, Kotkaniemi and Josh Anderson. I don't know. He's, Ducharme seems to like putting right wingers on the left side for some reason. Uh, something like that. Then all of a sudden, you know, those are, that's two lines, the Suzuki line and that second Gallagher line that I just made up uh, that I think could score great and one of them would actually end up if you have Daniel line against Ehlers the Suzuki line against Shifley and I know we know we're not they're not dictating the matchup constantly but just to get a sense of uh how favorably the Canadians depth matches up to the Jets then you might end up with like a line with Anderson, Kakanyemi and Brennan Gallagher playing against the the Winnipeg Jets like Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, Mason Appleton line or something like that which is an okay third line it's not great yeah, uh, and so I'm looking forward. I hope, I really hope they can exploit that matchup. Uh, even as it is right now, like Kakanyemi, Byron, Anderson, um, I like them a hell of a lot better than uh, you know the you know the Andrew Cop line with the Jets. Um, but you know, I personally, uh, as a side note, I don't know if I'd split up Daniel and Gallagher. They're just so good. They've worked together for like three years now. And I just think it works. You know, yeah, try stuff out. Yeah. I don't know. But um, the one thing I'll say is I really hope. Like I understand. Okay, so. As much as I disagree with, uh, you know, Ducharme's decisions, I will concede that the way you were going to beat the Leafs was probably the way they played. Like, you know, like low event hockey, boring as fuck, um, stuff that isn't really, you know, sustainable or like for like a contender or anything. Um, but, you know, if you're a significantly worse team, which they were, and you're just looking to like slow shit down, and hopefully get some lucky bounces, which the Habs did, like, then you might pull something out. And, you know, because the Habs, frankly, and this is a Bergevin issue, are not built properly, well, fast at all, uh, especially on that defense. And so I, I would give credit to Ducharme for that. But uh, moving, looking to this series, I really hope he does something a bit more dynamic. Um, yeah. You know, and other than just the dump in and whatever, like everybody, everybody who's watching these games, um, against the Leafs, uh, and who hasn't even like watched a shred of hockey can recognize that a that's all they're doing, just dumping it in offensively, and then just hoping something happens, and b that it's extremely boring. Um, and c it's not very good for offense either. It's just not very productive. 
Um, and so, you know, with a team that's significantly now a step down, I would say, uh, from the Leafs when you're playing the Jets, I really hope, like, you can find some more aggression because, um, honestly, that's probably how you're going to win. Like, if you if you play the the, the shutdown game again, I just think Kyle Buck's too good um, and to... Yeah. He's, I think, yeah, he's just too good. You're not going to beat him like that. And so I think you have to take advantage of your forward matchups, uh, which are better than the Jets, I would say, uh, especially in that depth. Uh, you got to play more aggressive. You got to score the goals um, because it's just, it's a different team. And hopefully Ducharme can adjust this strategy like that. Yeah, the Canadians have, have proven in the past two years that they were really, really good at being a playoff underdog. And they know how to, you know, make the most out of series as an underdog, which, you know, when you are the underdog, that's nice. Hopefully they won't be the underdog forever and ever. But anyway, playing the Jets, I don't necessarily see them as uh, definitely not as heavy an underdog as they were against the Leafs. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you need to expose the Jets' flaws, which are. None of your forwards are that great defensively. None of your defensemen are that great at all. Uh, your goalie <laughs> is the reason why you're here. And so, you know, the forwards and defense, that top to bottom of the Winnipeg Jets, if Montreal just, you know, tries to play like they did against the Leafs and act like they're the heavy underdogs and, like, try to, oh, we'll be opportunistic, oh, we'll beg for scraps, the Jets will, the Jets will take advantage of that. I would have thought the Leafs might have, but the Jets will be like, all right, this is great. They're not attacking us. They're not trying to, you know, expose the holes in our lineup. So I think maybe Dominic Ducharme, uh, judging by how he he has his team play against the Maple Leafs, is somewhat adaptable to the opponent. If you're if the Canadians were a Stanley Cup contender, that probably wouldn't be a great thing. You would want, would want your opponent to adapt to you. But considering the Canadians' position, to give them the best chance when they they have to look at the Leafs, they're like, all right, how do we beat the Leafs? And they figured it out and they did it. And I hope he looks at the Jets and goes, how do we beat this team? How do we expose their flaws? And I hope he realizes that it's pretty much the exact opposite of what what they did against Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So here's to hoping he's adaptable. Also. An update, I believe, yes, the Carolina Hurricanes-Tampa Bay Lightning game just ended. Uh, and yes. so uh, the Lightning now have a 2 nothing lead. So uh, that is sad for my bracket. Good for them. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, good for them. Bad for my bracket. You know what I noticed uh, but- about Tampa Bay? Uh, they basically, they have the exact same team as they had last year that won the Stanley Cup, except instead of Kevin Shattenkirk, it's David, well, David Savard, and also Steven Stamkos isn't injured. Like, everyone is healthy. Tyler Johnson's on their fourth line. It's it's pretty crazy yeah. what they're what Tampa Bay is. And and also you have Colorado on the other side who's destroying worlds and looking like they might sweep everyone and go sixteen and zero. But anyway. So yeah, how funny would it be? I I'm so getting ahead of myself. Um honestly I think the Jets might be the favorites. Uh I don't know about betting, but uh just based on uh, Hellbuck is that good. Um but uh, how funny would it be if the Habs and then got their fucking teeth kicked in by the Avalanche or the Golden Knights, um, for that matter. Yeah, um, uh-huh. it would be pretty fucking funny. I think it would be hilarious to see the Habs in the third round. It would just be really, really funny. Oh. I wouldn't even be that happy about it because you know they suck, but and they don't deserve <laughs> be to be there. But it would be so, so fucking funny. Are you kidding me? The Habs in the equivalent of a conference final with this fucking roster. <laughs> see, uh, here's just the, the thought thing. of it makes me laugh. Yeah. 
here's the thing. I think that's true for both Habs and Jets. They both are yeah. awful. And whoever is going to make it to, the, to round three is going to get absolutely shelled by probably the Avalanche. And here's the thing. A lot of people have been kind of annoyed by this, you know, oh, the North Division sucks narrative of the entire season. And I think rightfully so to some extent. For example, you know, you look at the bottom three teams in the North Division. It was Vancouver, Ottawa, Calgary. You compare that to the bottom three teams in any other division. The North Division wins for sure. You Ottawa, Vancouver, Calgary, or San Jose, LA, Anaheim. I'll take Canada. How about Columbus, Detroit, Chicago? I'll take Canada. How about Buffalo, New Jersey, Philadelphia? I'll definitely take Canada. Then on the other hand, on the top end is where it really looks like it favors all the other divisions. Uh, and I imagine that's going to become extremely apparent in round three when, say, Colorado absolutely, after, after probably, you know, they just beat the Golden Knights, the second in the league Golden Knights, 7-1 to one in game one. They killed them. I don't think it's going to be that much of a shellacking. I expect Vegas is going to get at least a game or two and give the Avs a bit of a challenge because they're also a great team. But after Colorado, you know, probably has like, you know, a tough battle against Vegas in round two. I don't, if, I, if Vegas ends up winning, I'm going to look stupid. But I, I really, honestly, I don't see that happening. Colorado's been that dominant the entire time. Um, say Colorado ends up against either Winnipeg or Montreal. They're like, really? We just beat the Golden Knights. You're, you're going to make us waste time on this team uh, th- that just beat, you know, either Montreal or Winnipeg. All right. And we just beat Vegas. You're going to really, we have, we have to play the game. This is why we play the games. All right, sure. Fine. But like, I think it really speaks to, I think this really says it all how it's already like the bracket is confirmed. Like they were planning on, you know, reseeding after the rounds, but we already know that since Colorado and Vegas are the top two teams and Winnipeg and Montreal are the seventh and eighth best teams left and they're playing each other. And we already know that that's how the, the bracket's going to go. I, I, either Colorado or Vegas against either Winnipeg or Montreal, I think will be a sweep. Yeah, look, you got to think. Okay, well, okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I was going to say, you got to think that this second round series between Vegas and Colorado, and I think... I, like your dismissal of Vegas, I think is extremely preemptive. Considering that a it was only one game, I understand Colorado looks like the much better team, and I have Colorado winning it all. But also remember, it is hockey, and the the Habs just beat the Leafs. So uh, really, <laughs> any, anything really can happen here. But um, you know, whoever is coming from the West, like oh my god, all right, like just the quality of opponent that you're gonna have to play in the third round, and then all the rest that I assume that you will get is going to be such a boon for the finals, uh, like the Stanley Cup finals. And you, you got to think that's a huge edge, right? Um, yeah. Like, yeah, like it's, uh, you know, like, you know, you hate to predict the sweep, but like, and I don't even know what fucking teens are even playing in the third round. Yeah, exactly. But I'm already predicting a sweep. Like, <laughs> there's just that much of a talent gap between these two teams. Like Winnipeg and Montreal, they fucking suck. And I don't know if either of them makes them in the playoffs in a regular season, in like a normal season. Um, and the fact that one of them is going to make it the third round uh, is a huge advantage for uh, whoever's going to win in the West. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Honestly, it's going to be really funny. It might be like 7 nothing every... It might be what we saw, Colorado versus Vegas, but every single game. And there just won't be <laughs> any sort of suspense. Um, you know, this... Th- yeah, if, if it is Colorado, this is going to be an easier opponent than St. Louis. And they made easy, easy work of St. Louis. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be funny regardless. It's just, it's a comedy now. It's a fucking comedy. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. I am very much enjoying it. Yeah. You know, um, 
I speaking of Colorado, I do understand what you're saying. The Golden Knights are really good. Uh man, I don't know. The Avalanche, I'm 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 giving them like a, a 95% chance of beating Vegas. I really I'm that confident in them. Did wow. you see Did you Okay, I guess I guess on the off chance, you know, Grubauer goes down, then all of a sudden everything falls apart. But I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen because why would you think that's going to happen? Why would you even say that, Alex? I don't know. Anyway, that Nathan McKinnon goal uh, in game one against Vegas, where, okay, I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see highlight reel goals on the TL. They show it on, on TV a couple times. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I tend not to think as much of them as many others. But this Nathan McKinnon one, I was like, I was like, how did he do that? Not because, not because it looked incredibly difficult, but because it looked so easy. The Vegas defenseman Nicholas Haig, uh, I, I mean, I guess if Nathan McKinnon was going to do this to anyone, Nicholas Haig is probably as good a candidate as anyone. He's one of these defensemen who's known for being tall. Uh, Nathan McKinnon just went right around him. Just and it wasn't even like you know one of the you blow by them at like the defensive blue line. Nicholas Haig was fully square to the play fully ready to go to defend Nathan McKinnon. Good luck. Nathan McKinnon was like, I'm just going to walk around you like a traffic cone. And then all of a sudden he was, he, it was like, he decided, you know what? I don't like that. There's someone standing in front of me. I'll go around him and then have a breakaway. Cause he literally just went around him and had a breakaway. That doesn't tend to happen. And it, it was, it was one of the craziest goals I've seen all season long. Nathan McKinnon is a, a monster come playoff time. He's found a new gear. And honestly, along with, Every single other player on the team, especially the stars, Rantanen and Landis Gog, his line mates, have been tearing it up. That defense is the best there is in the NHL. Makar, Devon Taves, Samuel Gerrard, Ryan Graves. What a top four. Are you kidding me? Philip Grubauer was just officially nominated for the Vesna Trophy today. Good for him. Hellebuck wasn't. That was a bit of a surprise. But, I mean, we, we, we praise the Avalanche and the incredible construction of that roster in our playoff preview when we both picked them to win the, the Stanley Cup. And all the players, every single one on that team has risen to the occasion so far in the playoffs. And it's just five games in. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's this team is unfair. Uh and like that yeah, that McKinnon goal, like and just the goal part of it. Like when he scored on Laner, like he just made it look so easy. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna flip it past you now. Uh and there ain't shit you can do about it. Um <laughs> so uh yeah, that was fucking insane. Um but yeah, this like I mean Kale McCarr, have you seen like the, the highlight clips of just Kale McCarr in game one? Uh, he's making these ridiculous offensive zone passes. He's got like he's four points. He had a he had a goal. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's absolutely mind boggling how well constructed this roster is. Like it's crazy. They even have like they have a guy who they drafted like what fourth overall, and he's not even in the damn roster yet, and he's going to be soon. Like it is insane. And we thought Tampa last year was fucking great, and even without Stamkos and all that, this team is another level, man. This team, this team, they were, but this team is just another fucking level, I think. Anyways, like it's just top to bottom, so much depth. They've got the goaltending, like you know, the depth is questionable on the goaltending, but you know, Grubauer is very much serviceable, above average goaltender. Um, and you know, like how ridiculous is that first line? It's fucking unfair that you have Nathan McKinnon. Like, oh my god. Like, you know, could you imagine if Connor McDavid had this kind of depth surrounding him? It would be unbeatable. But that's what it is, basically. You know, like Nathan McKinnon, not Connor McDavid level, but one of the very best players in the world. And to be surrounded by A, his line mates, but also just the team around him. Um, it's just it's 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 just uh fucking crazy. And the Avalanche, man, they really got to go in. Like, you know, sometimes like, whoa. Oh, uh, did they? Where did they come ready for the playoffs? Yeah, the fucking Avalanche came ready for the playoffs. They came, kicked the Blues' ass, and now it looks like they're gonna kick the, you know, the Golden Knights' ass. Uh, and yeah, man, they're and just the so Winnipeg fun to watch. Jets or Montreal Canadiens. 
<laughs> they're just so electric. They're just so electric. And it's just like, you know, yep. that's what you watch hockey for. It's just so much fun. Yeah, isn't it amazing how the most fun team in the NHL is also the most skilled and also the best one? Isn't it funny how that happens? Um, anyway, you know, I'm thinking about the Avalanche. I really think the turning point for them, and I think most people would probably agree, was that Matt Duchesne trade in 2017 because it's been said over and over how they made out like absolute bandits. That trade led directly to Sam Gerrard. It led to the first-round pick that ended up becoming Bowen Byram, who's not even on the team yet. Who else, who else did they get out of that trade? Shane Bowers didn't hasn't uh, cracked the lineup yet. Um, who else is it? Vladislav? I guess I guess Gerard and Byram are the main pieces, but that's insane. And you know, I was thinking about this because I mean, yeah, Ottawa clearly lost that trade, gave up way too much. Uh, at least though, they ended up parlaying Matt Duchesne into like they got another first round pick. Lassie Thompson's like a decent prospect. Nashville, I don't think gets enough flack because you look at that trade from their point of view. That was uh very simple they traded sam and gerard who was their very recent second round pick and vladislav kamenev and another second round pick for kyle turris who they ended up signing to an egregious extension and then buying out they gave away one of the top 10 defensemen in the nhl sam gerard for a player that they would buy out like three years later so that's a that's a big l on nashville's part and i think people more so look at that trade from ottawa's perspective and not as much from nashville but uh Man, they really blew that one. Yeah, Jesus. Giving up Sam Gerrard, that is uh, a huge fucking yikes. Uh, and yeah, it just makes, like, hats off to uh, Joe Sackick. He's both an absolute juggernaut. And if they don't win next year, uh, they'll be sure as shit great odds for the year after and the year after and the year after. Because this core is uh, locked and loaded, not too old at all, especially on defense. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like this is man, like you would be like that playoff elation that you talk about when you win a series, like that's, that's what it's going to be. That's like, that's what it is for Colorado. You know, that's what it is when you know, you have a team that is good enough, that's expected to win. And then when they do it, it just fucking rocks. And yeah, and and, uh, it extends all the way to the Stanley cup. So, uh, yeah, but who knows? Maybe the Habs will upset them in the third round or the Jets, you know, who knows? Uh, Imagine imagine the Canadians uh, beat the avalanche. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh we're we're getting way ahead of ourselves but uh yeah, i would assume would it's be... a prank i would assume the league would be like ah, i'm just kidding yeah. the avalanche one <laughs> all right anyway so yeah i guess that's kind of you know up to speed on the avalanche and the golden knights and the bruins and islanders are tied 1-1 i haven't watched much of that because their first two games were uh, at the same time as habs leafs game six and seven uh, but I assume that's, I think from what I've gathered, that's going pretty much according to plan where the Bruins have outplayed, but the Islanders were opportunistic once again, especially in overtime. Casey Sezikis, offensive dynamo, capitalizing on a Jeremy Lozon turnover. Who could have seen that coming? Um, and I noticed we could end up with a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference final, Tampa and the Islanders. It's definitely possible. And Tampa now, as of uh, not long ago, up 2 nothing against the uh, the Hurricanes. Um, if you have any thoughts on either one of those series, go right ahead. Otherwise, uh, maybe we can get into our little draft lottery preview. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think there's much to add there. The series are really just starting to get going. Um, I, on the Bruins, uh, Bruins Islanders series, I fully expect the Bruins to take this uh, in five games or six. 
Um, my initial guess was five, you know, Islanders won one, but I think, you know, Bruins can just rattle off three straight wins. Um, like, you know, the, the Islanders are opportunistic, but I think that can only get you so far. Uh, and I think the Bruins are enough, are good enough. Uh, if they, uh, I, I, I've heard some complaints about the officiating. I haven't looked too far into that, but uh, I just new. think the Bruins are good enough. Um, yeah, true. Oh, uh, we haven't. Wow. Crazy. Like two weeks in the playoffs. We haven't even gone through a big rant about the officiating. Like we usually do. We and everybody else does. We could. I we promise absolutely you could. there's plenty of material available at our disposal <laughs> to talk about the officiating. But we just choose because honestly, listen to another recent episode we've done, and it would just be us repeating the same points over and over again because the problem is the exact same problem as it's as it's been for a very, very long time. Uh, and honestly, I mean, I was going to say there's no point complaining about it. That's not true. There is a point complaining about it because if enough people complain, something might change. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm, we're just, I think, too lazy to talk about it every single week, even though there's plenty of material provided every single week, plenty of fresh new botched calls, botched decisions of the Department of Player Safety that we could absolutely roast them for. But uh, but we're not. All right. So, okay. yeah, that, that I think that's it for uh, the current playoffs. Yep. Let's talk about the draft lottery. All right. Oh, so yeah. we teased this a little bit last week. Um, because it's been one of the, I think probably the least hyped draft lottery since 2014, maybe back when there was only one lottery and it was like the Ekblad year or something with nothing against Aaron Ekblad and uh, not the greatest first overall pick of all time. Uh, this year I've heard barely anything about it. It's going to be on at seven o'clock tomorrow, uh, right before the Habs Jets game one at seven thirty. And for anyone who's not up to date on the the slightly modified rules this year, um, basically, uh, unlike the past five draft lotteries, there will only be two lotteries, which I'm not a fan of that change. Two lotteries, all the teams that missed the playoffs are in the running. Uh, The odds are wonky this year because they threw in, of course, the Seattle Kraken, who just like when Vegas came in, they have tied for the third best odds of winning the top pick with New Jersey, who finished third last. So it's Buffalo with the highest odds at 16.6%. Anaheim, 12.1%. Seattle and New Jersey tied at 10.3%. The numbers go steadily down towards 1% after in uh, reverse standings order. Columbus, Detroit, San Jose, LA, Vancouver, Ottawa, then Arizona. But their pick was forfeited because of the penalty from when they uh, tested players, I think like over a year ago, outside of the draft combine, they got some picks revoked. Then Chicago, Calgary, Philadelphia, Dallas, and the Rangers. On the Coyotes, here's something interesting. They have a list that has a 3.1% chance of their pick winning the top pick, but it says there will be a redraw if they win. win. It wouldn't just be like, all right, Arizona's forfeited pick wins first, and then I don't know, Columbus wins number two. So then Columbus, even though they technically have the second pick, it's actually the first pick. They would just redraw it is uh, is the plan. So I don't know how you want to do this preview. If we want to run the lottery a couple times, if you want to make predictions, what are you feeling here? Uh, give me a second. I, on the Arizona thing, they just really just kind of made that up, didn't they? That rule on the redraw. They just like, oh, fuck it. Because if you think about it, if, if they had revoked the pick after... Uh, the draft lottery, like say, I don't know, some scandal came out and they're like, okay, we're going to revoke Arizona's draft pick after say they won like the first overall pick. Like what the hell would they have done then? Um, anyways, that's just, it, it yeah. really seems like the NHL was like, yeah, you know what? We'll just redraw it. If we pick the fucking coyotes, um, it really seems like Honestly, somebody made that up out of their ass. See, the thing with that though, is why don't you just 
like adjust the odds so that you don't have Arizona in the lottery at all, and just yeah. you know keep everything Another proportional. That's just so mm-hmm. idiotic. It's it's not like uh, the I don't know. I feel like there was a similar yeah like they have redraw sometimes or like you know the the like thousand and one combinations they have the extra one that makes sense. This is totally different. Also, I would prefer. I think it would be way funnier if the Coyotes won the first overall pick and then weren't allowed to use it, and then the second overall pick was actually the first pick. I think that'd be pretty hilarious. But uh, uh, I guess you know if they do actually pull Arizona first and then they're like, oh, redraw. I guess it kind of would have the same level of humor attached to it. But uh, I don't I, honestly I just, think that's going to happen. Yeah, I just hope that it does happen and that we see oh, the yes. clip. Like you know the yeah you know I just want to see the the. the I hope they if it does happen they they publish it. Um, on YouTube or some shit, and so we can all kind of laugh at the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so uh, okay. So yeah. Like, oh, whose combination is that? Oh, the one team we put in the lottery <laughs> who actually can't win the lottery, so we shouldn't have put them in there in the first place. Oh, let's redraw it then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just stupid as fuck. All right. Um. Okay. So yeah. So so you you asked a question. I didn't even answer it. Um. How the heck do we proceed? Um. Any ideas? All right, sure, let's actually let's talk a bit about some of the top prospects, of which I admit I know far less about than I did last year's prospects, mostly because, you know, I've been focusing more on games and last year there were no games, so I was like, let me focus on the draft for months on end. And at this time last year when it's actually almost been a year since that that phase 1 of the draft lottery where team E uh won the first overall pick and I was all up to date on all the top guys and everything. This year more surface level. Uh, I know Owen Power is that like a six foot five defenseman at the top of Bob's list? Um, but he's not the consensus number one at all. Uh, a lot of scouting people who I became very familiar with last year have him around like number three, number four. They like Luke Hughes better, uh, Quinn and Jack's brother, also a defenseman. Uh, they like Brant Clark better, who I know was just had a really good uh, under 18 tournament for Canada. Some of them prefer. Matthew Beneers, which is a name you might recognize from Team USA at the World Juniors. He was at second-line center. Uh, I think he was like a linemate of Cole Caulfield and Matthew Boldy's on that second line or whatever of that team that won gold. And I know the World Juniors is a small sample size, but I was like, hmm, this kid seems like uh, the real deal. Uh, who else? William Eklund is maybe like, a, like an Anton Ludell type of player from the little bit that I know about him. So those are a couple of the guys who are probably going to go near the top. Jesper Wallstead is a goalie, and for some reason, I don't know why, but this will probably be the third year in a row we have a goalie go much higher than we're used to. Wallstead uh, seems like the likeliest to go in the top 10, and maybe even like uh, better than Askarov, who everyone was saying Askarov was like, oh, this is the best goalie prospect in a long time. People are saying Wallstead might be better, so look for him to to go high in, uh, in this draft. So those are the types of players whoever wins the lottery may may have an eye on. Yeah, so uh, look, I have done little to no research on this draft um, so far. Um, but yeah, really like that the lottery really hasn't been marketed as, you know, the anybody sweepstakes. It's like we don't even know who these guys are. I think that's I think that's a product of uh, I think it is very much a product of COVID, um, you know, limited games, not many people watching the games and stuff like that. And this um, is a pretty weak and, draft to begin with. And yeah, I was just going to say like, it doesn't. It doesn't seem. Nobody really seems to jump out of the page. Like, yeah. So is Wallstedt, like, is the goalie? Is he that good? Like, is he legit? Like, or is it just inflated by the fact that he's a very good goaltender prospect? Who there's nobody really ahead of him that really shines in terms of you know anyone in this draft class. 
the sense I get, he is at that Spencer Knight, Yaroslav Eskarov level. He's already playing in the SHL as a, an 18-year-old. It's a men's league. He has like, a, I think, like a 909, which is extremely strong, especially because, you know, an 18-year-old goalie in a men's league, you almost never see that. And the expectation is he'll play there again next year, and he's going to get even better. Maybe put up like a, a 920. And he's he's got like a very refined, mature game already. Even like Askarov, like we've seen him at the World Juniors, people saying like, oh, he looks kind of, you know, shaky and flaily and a little unsure of himself sometimes. Apparently, like Wallstead, you never see any of that. So uh, he's like probably the surest thing we've had to a, a starting goalie, as you can tell, in his draft year in, uh, since since I don't know when. Huh, that's fascinating. And so one name that kind of jumps out at me that isn't there is like what happened to Aturati who was yeah. like uh like was potentially like a number 1 overall pick uh even just last year as we were talking about like as we did our little draft uh we we did our draft coverage and then did like a brief overview of what could happen this year i mean like uh what happened there teams he's really kind of fallen off uh draft boards down into uh i don't know even like the 20 range like mid first round um any idea what's going on with aturati uh, well, you might remember he was on the Finnish World Junior team uh, in his like draft minus two year. And then the year after this most recent World Junior, he he didn't make the team. Uh, and that was like a very strange decision. One of a couple of really weird decisions. We're like, what's happening with Aturati? And he was falling down rankings. I've been trying to figure out like, hmm, what don't people like about him? And honestly, I haven't come up with much except for that a lot of scouts expected more progression and it hasn't come. He's kind of stagnated, which is a red flag for a lot of scouts. Uh, and that's why he's fallen more to like the, I'd say probably the 10 to 15, maybe 10 to 20 range. But a lot of people, uh, from what I've gathered, still seem to think like, no, that's still, that ceiling is still there. You take him around like 10th overall, that's not a bad gamble at all. Yeah, like I haven't looked much into it at all. Or not? Yeah, that's an that's an overstatement. Um, understatement. Uh, but uh, you know, my initial impression is, I mean, a guy with that kind of projection just last year, um, if he manages to fall down the boards and here there and like you know like to pick yeah ten to ten to fifteen ten to twenty, uh, he's there. I would absolutely grab him. Um, you know, like stagnation, whatever. Like it's it's a weird year. Uh, and I don't know what the deal was in the what where did he play the not the SHL but the uh, Finnish league the I guess. League. Think. yeah okay look. um all right uh but you know like sure like i don't know how that how their pandemic situation was um but it was different and even if it was even if it was just the normal season where he regressed like that kind of pedigree even though it's like a, a year in advance you in terms of projection like uh if he does fall i would grab him i would grab him um anyways uh so yeah that's yeah, like so a brief overview yep um, Atu Ratty this year, he played in the Liga, which is the highest men's league in Finland. In 35 games, he had three goals, three assists for, for six points. Um, let's just, just to compare that to Anton Lundell, who went 12th overall last year to the Florida Panthers. In the Liga, he had 28 points in 44 games. Uh, and Anton Lundell, not only that, but he was actually, they were talking like, Oh, does he have limited offensive upside? Is he gonna be more of a, like a defensive specialist? Which has proven to be untrue. He's now almost a point per game in the league this year, and he's looking like he's gonna be a, a like a an excellent offensive player as well. But like to see, you know, someone Lundell, who went twelfth overall, a player of that caliber would 
probably be in the top five in this year's draft. And you compare that to Raddy, who in his draft year, um, I assume he's, you know, a pretty good, well-rounded player as well. But the production just isn't there at all. And it's, it definitely does raise some uh, red flags about a player that was supposed to go in the top five and was even in the conversation for first overall at certain points. Okay. So that's a brief overview. Anyone else you would like to uh, cover uh, here in our brief overview? Uh, uh, ooh, two more. Um, Mason McTavish okay. has really cool hair. Um, and he's probably going to go like, I don't know, just outside the top 10. Uh, and James Malatesta is probably going to go in like the third round, but he's my dad's coworker's son. So I knew a, a couple years out, like, oh yeah, my, my coworker's son. Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's uh, going to go play major junior. I think the Quebec ramparts he was playing for, and he's probably going to get drafted. So, uh, there, that's a name to keep out on that. I have like a three degrees away connection from a player that's going to get drafted this year. Extremely cool. Extremely cool. So Mason McTavish. All right. That's a that's a solid head of hair. Uh, and uh, yeah, James Malatesta. All right. That is cool. And so we will uh, definitely keep track. Maybe the Habs will draft him. Uh, any, 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 have you done any scouting on him? What do uh, the scouts no. say about James Malatesta? All right. Okay. The scouts we'll say that for he's going to be a superstar. Um, next, okay. Connor McDavid. All right. Anyway, um, let's sim the lottery a couple times. I got Tankathon pulled up. Uh, gonna hit Sim, see what happens. Uh, wow, not much movement there. Anaheim first and Buffalo second. Uh, that's not very exciting. All right, next lottery, Buffalo and then New Jersey. Um, this is so much less fun when it's only two instead of three. It just feels so much more boring. Just taking that one team off. That was one of the worst decisions the NHL could have ever made. Uh, let's sim one more. See Fucking what happens. Garbage. All right, this one's fun. This one is a lot of fun. Vancouver and Calgary <laughs> just jumped to number one and two. Oh, oh yeah, let's go. Oh man. All right. All right. Well, here's to hoping that happens rather than the uh, the opposite. The, the first two lotteries. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, anything that has Detroit drop the maximum again, I'm all in for. <laughs> and Vancouver Calgary would do that. So. Yeah, me too. All right. So, uh, care to make a prediction about who's winning uh, what? I would love to make a prediction. All right. I think that the San Jose Sharks, uh, with the seventh best odds, are going to win the first pick. And I think that the Anaheim Ducks are going to stay put at number two, and they're going to win that second lottery. A pair of California teams. We're going to go. It's going to be San Jose, Anaheim, and thereby. Uh, picking a third, Buffalo, then Seattle, New Jersey, Columbus, Detroit. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so let's look at these odds. Let's use the numbers game uh, to my advantage. All right. I figured it out. Um, the number one pick. Man, I was going to say Columbus, but then I realized ain't nobody going to Columbus. Uh, so <laughs> is this the year Detroit wins it? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this as if my, my uh, guess is educated uh, in any what way. It's uh, fully but, random. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Vibes. Fuck it. I am... The vibes... Ah, uh, You know what? I'll, I'll do my second pick first because I realize that they have second pick vibes. Uh, it's the Seattle Kraken. They are winning the second overall pick. Um, nice. They got the vibes for it. All right. Uh, and the first overall pick... Uh, spicy, but not too spicy. Yeah, let's give it to LA. The LA Kings. So we covered each of we got we covered oh, all three California teams. For the Kings, come on. Ah, oh, yeah, I know. It'd be so great, though. Who 
would just be so funny. And that, that would make me laugh. Like, you know, like, why not? I would, like, maybe that's the next juggernaut. With the with the, the prospect system that's growing, I would yeah. just love to see it. Honestly, I think it would be lots of fun. So, um, I think, I think, I think, you know, whoever it is that they pick first overall, if LA does win the lottery, um, like, they look like a young and, uh, like, up-and-coming, exciting team in a few years. Uh, and so, and I'm all for that, you know, especially since they're far and away geographically and, you know, divisionally from and conference wise from the Habs. Uh, yeah, I'm here for an LA juggernaut team in the future. Yeah. All right. I have two fun scenarios to point out. Uh, I'm sure down goes okay. Brown's probably going to come out soon with his like, uh, I'll hear the most wacky things that could happen in the draft lottery because he does that every year. Uh, one of them, the New York Rangers are the longest shot at 1%. Of course, they've won two lotteries in recent memory. They jumped off first last year and second the year before. And they have a 1% chance of winning the first overall pick again this year. If they do that, total chaos would break loose. Uh, it would be absolute madness. And my the other option that could happen, and honestly, I'm rooting for this one, is that uh, not only will the Arizona Coyotes get picked first and they'll have to redraw because those are the idiotic rules they laid out for themselves. They'll put a team in the lottery that can't even win the lottery, but that they'll draw the Coyotes again and again and again for hours and hours and days and days and years and years, forever and ever till the end of time, only pulling up Arizona Coyotes lottery ball combinations. <laughs> And, uh, and the 2021 draft will never be able to occur because of it. They'll just, Gary Bettman will be stuck in that room for the rest of his life. just And then continuously, oh, we, we picked out the Coyotes again. Uh, too bad we, we made them a redraw. Uh, that would be epic karma. Um, extremely unlikely, but uh, I'm, I'm here for Oh, how funny would that be? How funny would that be if they picked the Coyotes twice? Oh, my God. For the love of yeah, God, just please, please, You know what? It would be funny. It would be funny. Be they so pick the funny. Coyotes for the first pick. They have to redraw. Then it comes up whoever. It comes up New Jersey or whatever. And then for the second pick, it comes up Arizona again. And they have to redraw again. I think that would be funnier <laughs> than it just comes up for the first pick twice. Is that it comes up one time for each pick. Uh, uh, yeah, truly. Oh, imagine the pain. The pain if you're an Arizona <laughs> Coyote fan. <laughs> I feel bad for them, but still so funny. All right. Oh, for sure. Okay. So that's our uh, draft lottery preview. Remind me when it is that it's going on. It is tomorrow, June 2nd at 7 p.m. All right. Thank you very much. I had completely forgotten. Um, and I may, in fact, actually need a reminder tomorrow. I'm going to sell it on my <laughs> phone. Um, <laughs> that's how little has been marketed. Okay. So uh, is there anything else we want to talk about before we sign off for the week? Uh, I think that... That is it for this episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Uh, it was very funny. Um, com- maybe I'll, I'll just call this episode comedy. I think that's a good title uh, because the Habs and Leafs and the Arizona Coyotes redraw. Uh, it all it made us laugh end to end. So uh, thanks to the NHL and anyone who's got Netflix, uh, check out that Bo Burnham special. There, I'll circle back to that because that was absolutely brilliant, uh, and you're gonna love it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. Or not this week's, I guess just today's because we just had one a couple days ago. Episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back on Sunday, probably back into our Sunday schedule routine. Uh, We'll be readjusting. And uh, we will have some Habs Jets awful round two games to discuss (laughs) of just the worst possible round two teams you could ever imagine facing each other. Nothing like this will ever be seen again. (laughs) Go have some. Go